Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. So today we're going to start a, uh, a start of a series. We shared our hearts, Becky and I, the first few weeks of, uh, of the year about some of the things that God has put in our heart as far as the areas and the direction we were going to go as a church. So today we're going to begin to start focusing on the, uh, the basics of the Christian faith. And so we're going to cover uh, the scriptures in Hebrews 6, 1 through 2. We're going to go through every single one of those focus points. So for today, I'm going to give you an introduction as far as what we're going to cover. And we're also going to look at repentance from dead works because that is the first part of that of that passage that covers the six uh, basic Christian doctrinal faiths. So how many of you have ever built a home from the ground up? I know some of you guys have. Some of you say, I would never, ever do it again. It was too much work. I'd rather buy it built than to go through the headache of all that. But what is the very first thing that you build when building a home? You mean you don't put the roof on first, right? Without any rafters or framing done, right? And then you put the framing, then you put the roof, then you put the shell, and you, there's a process to it, right? But we all know the story of the man that built him, his house on the sand. What happened? It says that the wind began to rumble, the waves began to go, the, the water began to rise, and what happened? It fell flat because the foundation was not established. So the first and, and foremost, the biggest focus that we have to have is establishing a solid foundation before we build anything else. If we don't have a foundation, everything else we will will fail. It doesn't, um, it doesn't matter how much money, how much time. It would be foolish to build without a foundation. Agreed? So when we attach that to our spiritual house, we have to establish a foundation. So just make sure some of you mature, seasoned Christians stick with me because as I was preparing, I was kind of floored with some of how deep some of these biblical basic concepts really are. You know, just because I'm a pastor of the church doesn't mean that, oh, these things are easy. These things are simple. These things are, it says that these are foundational. These are the, these are the most important things. So, so in Hebrews 5.12, it says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. So we can't build a house without the foundation. We can't build spiritually without the elementary truths established in our lives to where those are unshakable. But the, so the, the passage that we're going to look at is Hebrews 6, 1 through 2. So in verse 1, it says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. That is the goal. It's not to just learn the basics, stay on the basics, and that's it. It's to establish the basics, establish the foundation so that our spiritual house may be built upon that foundation that we grow. It says that you ought to be teachers. And how many of us sometimes, I'm not just talking insecurity, but how many of us, you know, have not really matured into, we feel like we're still baby Christians. Well, some of that may be because we haven't established a foundation, therefore everything else we're building doesn't make sense because we've built it out of order. So we got to make sure that our foundation is solid because in this church, we don't want baby Christians forever. That's not our heart. We, we, we encourage you to grow. We feel like if you are not growing personally, Becky and I are failing as pastors of this church. We're here to encourage you. We're here to challenge you. And we are going to give you the tools to build a solid home spiritually within you. You know, so what should we see? Man, everybody, start pouring the slab, right? Start establishing those foundations. And then, you know, 
We can't, we might not have a whole construction crew come in. I don't know if you've ever seen that done, how fast they can frame out a house. We had a house built right across the street from us, and man, it took them forever to do the foundation. Man, one crew came in and threw up all the walls, the roof, and I'm like, man, I need to call those guys for like one day and my whole house will be fixed <laughs> as fast as those guys work. So we got to establish that foundation. So it says, let us therefore leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, which that's what we're going to focus on today. So that's saying the acts that lead to death or the useless rituals, the things that we do that really aren't going to benefit anything. And then also on faith in God or towards God, instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So as I go through that list, some of you are like, man, that doesn't sound like elementary principles. They're elementary. And why do I say they're elementary and they're initial? Just like you're learning addition, subtraction, division, multiplication, if you don't get those established, guess what? You're never going to make it in calculus. It's that same principle. These are the elementary principles that God desires for you to establish in your life. So we got to learn. And what does it say there? It says, don't build it, the foundation. We don't want to lay the foundation again. Once we lay that foundation, we're done. And you want to build that foundation right. You know, we, I've, I've heard of people taking shortcuts or not putting enough sand ratio beneath the foundation or putting half a slab and then the slab cracks. It wasn't established correctly, therefore it could not hold the weight of the whole house. So if we don't build correctly and we don't build intentionally, it's not going to support the weight of everything that this Bible communicates and, and, and encourages us to do. And we'll have cracks all through our foundation. We want to build it right, right the first time, even though it may cost us more. Because what's the reason we build a, a sloppy foundation? It costs too much. This will be one foundation. If you build, it'll never, it'll never deteriorate. It'll never die. It says that the Word of God stands firm forever. And this is the foundation in which we build on, which will not be shaken. But this is the only way we can build. So the next few weeks, we're going to break down the scriptures, looking at each of these, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instructions about baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So if we follow these in order, it really spans the entire gamut of the Christian experience. Because the first thing that you have, you have to have repentance. That's where everything starts. If you don't have repentance, you don't probably have salvation. You can't have faith without repentance. The two work together. And then we go on to where instructions about baptism. Last Sunday, we had a baptism Sunday. That's talking about water baptism, but there's a supernatural Holy Spirit baptism that happens that is critical to, your, to the whole makeup of, of your Christian belief system. And then we go on to laying on of hands. What does that mean? Like, does that mean get a hold of them if they haven't become a Christian yet? Shake them into salvation? No, there's this transference of things that God has given us blessing where we can place hands on and we can transfer that blessing to others. There's multiple scriptures that as they laid their hands on, they gave something. So we'll look into that also. Laying on of hands. Also, resurrection of the dead. And now you're like, oh man, it's getting you basics? Resurrection of the dead is some crazy stuff, right? So we went from the beginning all the way to the resurrection of the dead to eternal judgment. So what does that mean? That is, that's the, the, my whole life. From beginning to end, eternal judgment is where I stand before Father God and he judges me based on what I've done or haven't done. He judges me based on if I have a relationship with him or I have rejected him. And that's it. And we're all going to have to face that. So it's an important reality and something we have to pay attention to and we have to know. Man, I do not want you guys to get to heaven and be like, no, you never told me I was going to have to be accountable for... Not on my watch, guys, okay? 
So we want to make sure that we have an understanding of what the Bible communicates and what it demands and what it expects of us. Because it's important. If you don't read your word, you'll never know. So I'm here to help you highlighting some things in the word, but I would also encourage you today when you get home, read through Hebrews 6. Read through that whole chapter and allow it to speak to you and you know, see if you're understanding it the same way I am where it's saying that these are the basic things. So today we're going to start with repentance from dead work. So what I mean is, uh, what, what does the passage mean when it talks about dead work? So there, there's two, two different ideas. There's works of the law, which is, means I'm, I'm pursuing things based on the law. I'm striving to create my own self-righteousness. I'm trying to be good enough, hold myself according to the law so that I might not die and go to hell. Self-righteousness. Then there's the other side we all know about, and that is just the works of the flesh, which is sin, transgression, and iniquity. Everybody familiar with those? If not, we can have a conversation after this. We're all familiar with that, right? Those areas in our life where we need God's grace and we've sinned, we've fallen short, we're deserving of death, and that's what God calls sin. So it's talking about that uh, these, these, these dead works, it says repentance from the dead works. So that means that we have to, we have to realize what these dead works are if we're going to turn away from them or if we're going to change our mind about it. So if dead works are present in our life, by pursuing that self-righteousness, we still need to repent and we need to put our faith in Christ rather than faith in self-righteousness, just to re-clarify that. It doesn't matter if it's a, it's a fleshly sin or it's a self-righteousness kind of sin by the law, the same response is required to repent. For, so the first step in our response to God is through repentance. That's the first step. So it's not just enough to believe we must repent. So today we're going to look at the meaning of true repentance, because I think as we look at the meaning of true repentance, it'll give us an understanding of what repentance is. And, we, and by looking at what it means in the word, we can really figure out, are we really repenting or are we not really repenting? Because sometimes we can possibly water it down if we don't really look at the context of Scripture. So what does the word of repentance really mean? So often, you know, we think of it, you know... You, and I don't see it as much, but you still see it in the big cities with the big picket that says, turn, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn or burn or you're going to go to hell. You know, like, that's our biggest thing. And so initially, so like, ask yourself, when I hear that word repent, what do I think that means? Because if you haven't decided that, you're like, well, I don't know, just saying I'm sorry. Is that all there is to it? Or does it require more than that? Dun, dun, dun. Build it up a little bit, Right. You know, so the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. So what this means is it's, it's saying, it's basically saying to change one's mind, to reprogram the way we think about something. Now, that's pretty drastic. That's not just saying, oh, you know, like I see my kids all the time fighting, picking on each other. Man, say sorry to your sister. Sorry, sister. <laughs> sorry, say sorry. Repent. Sorry, sister. There's an ever change of mind in what he's doing. He's just trying to get to cover it and say, I'm sorry, but he hasn't changed his approach in what he's doing. Totally different. How many times do we tell God sorry, but we don't really turn from what we're doing and we, don't, we just think that it's a band-aid to keep us from going to hell and send us to heaven rather than changing our mind or seeing how God sees it and turning and walking a complete different direction? 
Because when we look at the definition of what repentance means, it means a change of mind. You know, re- repentance, it can't, it's, not, it's not an emotion, but it's a decision. That's going to be a key component of what we look at today. So true repentance is a firm inward decision and a change of mind. You know, the Old Testament, we see the word repent translated as to repent, repentance. So it literally means to turn, to return, or to turn back. Ezekiel 18, 30 through 32 just read this passage to you real quick. It says, Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. And he says, Repent. We talked about last week that ex- exclamation point. That's a loud thing that we're hearing in there. That's a shout. He, it, it's a command almost saying, Repent. It's a big deal. It's not like, Hey, guys, repent whenever you want. No, this is a, a forceful, a strong declaring word that says, Repent. And then he goes on to say, turn away from all your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Verse 31, it says, rid yourself of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in death for anyone, for anyone declares the sovereign Lord, repent and live. So what does it say right there in that that first verse? It says, turn away from all your offenses. That doesn't mean keep doing what you're doing and just say, sorry, God, I messed up. Man, I just can't get away from it. I keep messing up. Sorry, God. I mean, I have to turn and move away from whatever it is that's causing me to sin. I have to change the way I think about that sin. You know, I, I know with me, man, my wife and I sometimes think different in regards to sin or like offenses. And, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's things that she's like, oh, you don't understand it like I do. That's way more offensive to me. And I'm just kind of like, is it really that big, that big of a deal? And it's caused me to come to the place of thinking, well, man, how does she see that sin? And if she sees it that way and I see it this way, which is different, and, and how she sees it is way more offensive than I see it, then I take it to the next step. Well, how does God see it? And oh, no, God is actually maybe on my wife's side, and I'm the one being ignorant, and I'm not seeing it like that. I need to see it for what it is, and I need to turn away from it, and I need to walk the other direction. I can't stay right there. Man, if you hold sin in your lap, it's going to burn you every single time. Who would do that? Hey, hold that bottle rocket right there. Don't let it go. Hold on that stick real tight and see what happens. It's going to blow up in your face. And that's what sin will do every single time. You have to get it away from you. And especially if it's those areas that you know that you're prone to sin in. I don't know why we're built that way. There's certain areas of our life that we have to guard to our last breath. Not that we're not free, not that God hasn't forgiven us, but if, if, I'm, if I'm addicted to drinking or alcohol or something like that, I better stay far away from a bar. Yeah. Or guys that lo- love to party, it's not a party, it's a drinking fest, but if I get around that and I, and I saturate myself with that and that's the area that, that the enemy has used in the past to put, cause leverage against me and cause me to sin, which causes separation from God, which causes, causes my heart to, to, feel, to feel like God doesn't love me anymore and the enemy just continues to back me into a corner by, by exposing myself to these things that God says, get, get as far away from possible as you can. It will destroy my life. I'm not going to go into that passage, but it says, you know, once sin is, sin is thought about, and then it becomes a part of you, and then it changes you, and then you kind of yield to it, and it says the end of sin, of a choice to sin, is ultimately death. Once that root begins to sprout, and it begins to water it and nurture it, unless, you guys have seen the weeds growing right lately, right? 
Man, you better pull them up from the root or the next day you'll be right back. They grow fast. Well, sin in our life can do the exact same thing if the roots are not pulled out and it's not thrown away and there's not preventative maintenance done on a regular basis. Man, I better get back to my notes. Sorry. All right. So the idea is to turn away, to turn back to me. You know, the New Testament repentance reflects an inner decision and an inner change of mind. The Old Testament reflects an outer action. It was more action-based than it was like heart. It was more of a command. Well, as long as I'm obeying the law, then therefore I'm good. But it didn't really matter about the heart. In the New Testament, we see it's more of a heart thing with the expression of walking it out in the natural also. You know, sometimes because it says, you know, man, your words are great, but your heart is far from me. Right, we want our actions and our heart to be united. We want to be going in the same direction. We want to allow our inner decision and our inner mind to be consistent, and then we need to walk that out in a way that is, is an act of turning back or turning around, turning away from those things that so easily entangle us. And if we're not careful, destroy us. You know, we think of, of the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, 11 through 32. So I'm just going to kind of recap it for, for time's sake. But it talks about a son who, he, you know, he wanted all his inheritance. He said, give me what is mine, which he was entitled to it by custom, by law. And it says that he went and he began to just throw it all away with wild, sinful living. I'll just leave it at that. If you want to read it for yourself, read it like you want. Uh, you know, but it, it says that, you know, he did all of this and then he got to the place of where he just, uh, and and in verse 17, this is where everything changes. It says that he stated when he came to his senses. Anybody ever had that moment? Look in the mirror and all you can look is look back at yourself and say, you big idiot. I come to my senses and I figured out I was doing something wrong. You know, it says that he decides, and he comes to his senses, but he doesn't just stop there, because some of us will make that decision, but we don't do anything about it. We just say, hey, it'd be a good idea to quit doing that sin. It'd be a good idea to get away from those friends. It'd be a good idea to change this in my life, and we shrug our shoulders and say, hey, that'd be a good idea. Right, God? Yeah, it'd be a great idea. And you just sit there, and you don't turn away from it. But he went beyond that. So it says that, you know, he came to his senses, and then it says, I will set out and go back to my father. And then it says in verse 20, it says, then he arose and came to his father. He didn't stay at the place where he was. In that sinful, fallen nature, he willfully said, you know, man, this is foolishness. I can't stay where I'm, I'm at. And he, he got up, he turned around, he walked the other direction. And we know the rest of the story. What happened? When his father saw him, he ran to him. He didn't reject him or say, oh, you messed up, buddy. Now, you know, you're going to have to work to get back. Man, he, he greatly accepted him in. So this is really what true repentance looks like. This is the model. So, so he must, in, in this illustration, he must stop, change his mind, change his direction, face the opposite way, turn his back to the shadows, and face towards the light. This is the first essential act of, of all Christians. It's called Repentance. This is the first step coming to that place of of where I come to my senses. I've I've had a change of mind. So true biblical repentance, it'll be determined by our pursuit of a shadow or pursuit of the light. So we have to turn from the shadows of sin that we're born into and follow Christ, who is the light of the world. The scripture that says, I was blind, but now I see. You know, but true repentance, it's for, there's at first an inward decision, then there's an outward act to, to support that decision. 
The act of turning back to the Father, to the home, to the place of where your creator lies. You know, the concept of changing one's mind. It's a a decision that is so impactful that it will completely change the trajectory of your life if you've truly repented. Man, you know, I was thinking about this, uh, this example, man. It's so good because if I'm pursuing things that are of God and I'm truly repentant and I'm heading on the right path, the light is ever before me. So we need to look in our life, say, what are we chasing after? When I look forward, am I seeing the light of Christ or am I only seeing a dim shadow and I can't see anything and the further I get, the darker it gets. Because that moment that I turn from the shadows of sin and deceitfulness and destruction in my life, the moment I turn, my eyes are back on the light. But I can't see the light if I'm facing the shadows of darkness from my past. I can't do it. I have to stay this way to see the light. If I turn this way, I see nothing but shadows and darkness. Now, a lot of us think we can get away with this right here. I'm right here in the middle. What does he say in scripture? Man, I'd rather you be hot or cold rather than lukewarm. Because what happens when we try to live both sides of that life, we, we, we support that hypocritical lifestyle that a lot of the world calls Christians. And I hate that. So don't support that. Be sold out to one thing or another. You can't serve two masters. You can't love God and play with the devil at the same time. It will destroy your life. It'll break the Father's heart, and you'll never become what God has called you to. Man, you're saying this is basic repentance? This is the first step? This is elementary principles? No, this sounds a lot better than that. It's the foundation of everything. Choosing to repent, a change of mind. We shared a little bit about Judas, Matthew 27, 30, uh, 3 through 4. In the King James Version, there's a statement that, you know, it says when he betrayed him, uh, he, he, saw, he saw that he was condemned. And there's a passage, there's a little statement in there that says that he repented himself. And it says, and brought again 30 pieces of silver, blah, blah, blah. He felt really bad about it, you know, and he, they were pretty much like, hey, that's on you. So I want to really focus on that statement that says he repented himself. So when we look at that word in, in the Greek and the Hebrew, this is a little bit different because we think we use the same word, right? Well, if you repented, you repented, and I repented, and you repented, repented, it's all, it's all the same thing, right? Not necessarily. Let's look at what it says here. It says, so the Greek word here is meta el lomai. So it says to care afterwards or regret. So this is a feeling of a deep emotion and sorrow, but it does not produce change. He did not change his mind. He did not change his course or his direction, which resulted in him taking his own life. It's a horrible outcome, but that word is communicated as a, a strong emotion, not necessarily of any proof of repentance. You know, it's tears. It's he had. I'm sure he had strong emotional sorrow. He just helped be an accomplice to killing the the savior of the universe. I think we got bad days, right? Man, think about that. But it said, I'm sure he cried. I'm sure he wept. I'm sure he fell face down. But the, the, it's just, it's an emotion. It's not a choice. Well, how many of us know that sometimes we can put on a great show emotionally? We can, I'm so sorry, baby. I'll never do it again. But we never had a change of mind towards it. We're just trying to get out of the doghouse. 
Man, if you know what I mean. Learning to be a little bit more careful with my wife sitting in here with me. I got to make sure the jokes come back this way. Set a point I'm at my wife. <laughs> but you got to have a change of mind. You can't, you can't just go through the motions and, you know, and when we see that, we see that a lot of, lot of times happening. Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, why do you keep doing it? Because you haven't changed your mind about it. You haven't seen it for what it really is. You haven't come to the place of true repentance. Repentance, it's not about remorse or anguish. The, oh, I'm sorry. So strong emotion is not necessarily proof of repentance. So, so what, what am I saying? You know, because most of the time, I mean, I know when I received salvation, man, it was it was emotional wreck experience. I was crying, and like Becky shared, man, we're tied to our emotions, our feelings, our senses. We're stuck to that, and when God is rattling us in our spirit, man, and changing all these things, man, I'd never cry when I was going on. You know, like man, is you know, you, God will wreck your world, or He'll humble you, or you'll lift your hands. You say, man, I, these hands are so heavy, I can't. You know, like I'll get all kinds out of your comfort zone. When the Spirit of God comes, but was it just an emotional thing or was it a choice thing? Was it something where I had a change of mind, where I saw the gospel presented to me and then all of a sudden I began to see it different and therefore, therefore out of a heart of repentance, I turned towards the gospel rather than running to the shadows of darkness away from the gospel? Because we got to understand what does Scripture say? It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, therefore deserving what? Death. Well, that sure is a mean God up there. You mean he would, he's, he's made me born and I'm deserving of death. Absolutely. But he didn't stop there. He gave us an opportunity to, get to, to avoid death, hell, and the grave. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, as, the, as, the, as an awesome gift to redeem every sin we've done, are doing, or will do. But it abuses the blood when we just ask for that quick forgiveness and we don't change our mind. And that's very offensive to God. Man, I don't even want to get in that scripture that talks about that. I'm going to avoid that because I think that's a whole other thing. But when we do not, uh, with reverent, holy fear, seek God for who he is, and we don't take repentance serious, and we're just trying to avoid hell rather than changing the way we think, changing the way we act, and running so far away from the shadows of darkness that we run full-fledged towards the light. It's about a, about a decision. It's not about emotion. Matthew 1.15, it says, This time has come, he said, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So you got to understand that we, we live now in a place where all of the work is completed. Christ has already died on the cross. He, already, he, was, he was dead, buried, and he raised again. Now he's sitting at the right hand of God. So we are living in that moment where the kingdom of God is near and and we have the opportunity to repent and believe and therefore be saved. You know, everything has changed. All the work that God was going to do has been done. And now he asks us to go on this journey and starting with repentance. Have you repented from dead works? Or are you just trying to cover them up by a quick, I'm sorry? But they're still all a part of who you are. Proverbs 23, 7, New King James Version, it says, so, so a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So we have to change the way we think if we want to change the way we live.
Man, and we got to do that with sin. We can't just say, oh, well, I'm good most of the time, and our, and our thought process is still driven towards that old sinful nature. You know, just, just because we're saved doesn't mean that our thoughts sometimes immediately change. That's a process that has to happen. But I got to begin to change the way I think in regards to where, man, I see the violation of what it is and what I've done, and I choose no longer to see it as acceptable, forgiven by the grace of God, and I keep wallowing in it. Come on, man. God's so much better than that. He's given us a way out. So if we change the way we think, we're going to change the direction we're going. Have you ever been driving somewhere and you missed your turn? All the men. My wife told me to go straight. I was supposed to take left. Right? You know, we've all done that, right? How do you get back to the turn that you missed? You got to turn around. You ain't going to make it all the way going around the earth and coming back. Right? You got to turn around to get back to the destination that you were trying to get to. And that's just like it is in our spiritual walk. We have to turn around because we miss the road. And the cross points this way. And we got to go back to that same place. You know, a righteous God demands a righteous response. We got to remember that. Repentance is a reaction. It's a response to something. When you hear the gospel, then you respond in repentance. You know, because you see some people, man, I'm sorry I did that, I did that, but we don't, we don't, we just, we're, we're sorrowfully sorry, but we're not sorry because it was a violation to God and out of a response to the gospel, man, that's a whole nother level, right? We hear the gospel, we understand the gospel, and then we turn in response to the gospel through repentance, that's, the, that's, like the, that's the key that unlocks the whole door of the rest of your life. It says repent and believe. It doesn't say just believe. You got to deal with what was brought into this world. But the blood of Christ can remove it from your life. He's giving you the key and it's repentance. Let's look at this picture real quick. It, 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 man, I really think it... it uh, causes us to focus and to understand really what repentance really looks like. So we, we, need, we have a need for repentance, which is living in sin, right? You know, so this is, this is brought about by disobeying God's law. How many of us have disobeyed God's law? Time to wake up. Everybody raise your hand. That's all of us. We've all been diso- disobedient to the, to the law of God. So then, then we have some sorrow over sin. So this is brought about by hearing the law. You know, that, you know, he says in his word, I wouldn't know what sin was unless it was by the law. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Like all of these things. We don't know what sin is until it's defined in, in the law. So the law is still relevant for believers. So if you're trying to throw out the Old Testament with the New and say, hey, I'm living in the New, guess what? Everything in the New Testament got harder than the Old Testament. Because the grace of God was applied, and now he says, no, you don't have to kill this guy. If you just hate him, that's just as bad. Oh, man, I've killed, I've killed a lot of people. You know, is our response sometimes, because that hate in our heart is the equivalent of performing the action. So we have this sorrow brought about by hearing, hearing the law, and then we're at this pivotal moment. We can stay and we can wallow in that place of sorrow and never repent, and we'll be right there on the corner. And we have an opportunity at that moment to do the U-turn. The choice is yours, man. It can't, it's nothing I can make you do, but then we have this place of where we have faith and forgiveness. We're understanding what forgiveness is, what repentance is, like all of these things, and it gives us the opportunity to turn from where we've been going and go the opposite direction. 
we turn from the direction we were going. So this is brought about by hearing the gospel. We hear it, we believe it, we repent, and we believe. This is the whole process. And then at that point, then there's good works. You know, this is guided by the law, but also motivated by the gospel. All of these things work together. Acts 2.38, it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So we, we hear the gospel. We have to believe and respond in the act of repentance. Don't be driven by an emotional feeling or of guilt or sorrow or sin, but make a choice to change your mind, change your direction, to follow Christ, turning from unrighteousness and, re- and releasing the righteousness of Christ to cover you in every facet of your life. Place your faith in his forgiveness. You might not be at the place, well, I can't forgive myself, so I'm just gonna stay there. Christ is forgiven you. Allow him to show you how to forgive yourself because I see that as a huge thing that the enemy uses to destroy his people. You know, they say sin, he'll drag you as far as he can and then when you figure out that he has you and you get loose and you start running, then he picks up that sin and he tries to beat you with it. He throws it in your face. He shows you what you've done. He reminds you what you've done and say, this is who you are. And you're running towards that light. Not no more. You know, you're heading the other direction. You know, I'm trying to like, you know, this fight for your life. To avoid that deception. To avoid pursuing those things of darkness that we would chase after the light. Hebrews 9, 14, it says, how much more than with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleansing our conscience from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. That means that the blood of Christ can even help your conscience, can even help those feelings of saying, man, you're not good enough. And then the blood cries out and says, but I've made you good enough. I've allowed you to be good enough. The blood was the purification, but repentance is the bridge that takes us from death to life. It's not enough to just believe in Christ. The Bible says repent and believe. You know, it's like peanut butter and jelly. You know, they function together and they're almost inseparable. Guess if you don't like jelly or you don't like peanut butter and then stands alone, right? You know, so repentance and dead works. We got to remember that those are connected also. You can't deal with one without dealing with the other. Repentance, it says repentance from what? Dead works. It's not just repentance by itself, but it's repentance towards dead works. So then once we understand what dead works are, we have a chance to repent from those dead works, but we want to make sure that our repentance is correct and not just an emotional roller coaster. And we've just just said sorry, but we've never had a change of mind or a change of heart or a change of the way we think. Because if we've made this decision in the past to repent or we thought we were repenting and we haven't seen, you know, excessive change in our life, did we truly repent? Because if I have a change of mind in regards to something, I run away from that sin rather than still just continuing to play with it. You're going to see a change by the grace of God. This isn't something that we just do by ourselves. You know, I think about John 8, 11. This is the woman that was caught in adultery. You know, he starts, he says, if anyone is without sin, let him be the first to throw the stone. So Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She replies, no, sir, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. 
And, that, and then he said, what, is it, what, is, what does he immediately say after? He says, he says, now, go now and leave your life of sin. Turn around, turn away from it. Pursue me and leave your filthy rags right where they are. We get so comfortable with it, man, that it's just like, remember when I was real, real young, I had this, everybody might have a doll or something like that. I had this blanket. I called it an achi. I don't even know what that means, but that's what it was. But man, I remember, you know, I would get that thing and man, I couldn't go to sleep. And I'm, I, I, I hear stories. I don't remember this and I don't have a recording of it, but where's my achi, mom? I can't sleep. And man, as soon as I get that thing, I, I crash out. It was comfort. It was, it, was, it was association of this equals comfort, therefore this is what I need to survive, this is what I need to live. Well, we get accustomed to, to sin like that sometimes. We get so comfortable with it, we don't know how to leave with, live without it. So then when it's removed, all of a sudden there's an awkwardness, and unless it's replaced with God, we'll always desire that. You hear me? Leave that Achi over there where it belongs, way back in your childhood life. <laughs> Dragging that Archie around now, man. Be like, we can't hire that pastor. That's got some 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 re- root, deep rooted issues, right? But Jesus Jesus tells her, says, go and sin no more. Turn around and have a change of mind. Repent and turn to faith in God. You know, repentance is a radical change of mind that will radically change the direction of your life. It'll change everything about you. You know, we, we tend to think, well, man, how am I supposed to change that? How am I supposed to get rid of that in my life? Man, I've dealt with that forever. Man, I've heard, I've heard stories of where people just immediately, the bondage of, of past sin is broken. But that only happens when you truly change your mind about something and you just don't sit there with that sin and say, God, give me the grace to not do this, don't do this, don't do this, and I'm holding it. And man, you've got to get away from that thing, get rid of it, and go the other way. You've got to change your mind and realize that that does not benefit your life. It destroys you. And we got to return and repent from that. True repentance will change the direction of your future. If it hasn't changed your future, maybe you haven't truly repented from dead works. I'm not judging anybody. I'm asking you to evaluate. Have you truly repented from your sin and turned to follow Jesus? Everything hinges on repentance from dead works. Changing your mind and turning from your sin and believing the gospel. You know, I've, I've heard the, the question asked, you know, how often should we repent? You know, some people say, well, I should never repent. I've repented once. It's good enough. I should never repent. Man, I think about that. How did Jesus tell us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Kingdom come, thy will be done. Should I skip that next part? Forgive us our What? As often as you pray, when you pray. So a lot more often than we think. Because there's times we're sinning against God and we don't know it. And, you know, really that's kind of like the, the cover all. It's like, Lord, I, I mean, I'm sure I'm messing something up. I'm human. Lord, whatever there is in me that's not right that I need to ask for forgiveness for. But sometimes it's an intentional repentance. We've known what we've done. We've chosen sin. And therefore we can continue to play with it or we can reject it and get right with God. That's what David did. He was a quick repenter. He said, God, you know, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He, you know, man, his, his sin was ugly, but he was a man after God's own heart. And at some point he said, man, if I don't get right, 
God can utterly destroy me. He had an understanding of who God was, but it says that he, you know, he got right, he repented, he turned from it, and he just released it to God. We need to repent from those things, from those sins. We have to, we have to decide to go and sin no more. That's perfectly possible. But we've got to begin to move in the other direction and change the proximity of those things that so easily entangle us. So if we change our mind, if we turn away from and pursue God and we come to our senses, whatever it is we're dealing with will disappear and fade away. I'm think, I think of the old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. It says, look full in his wonderful face. So what does that mean? Man, I am captivated by the glory and the brightness and the, and the vastness of, of who God is. And it says then, all and the things of earth will go, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I so focus on God that I forget who I was. I forget what I used to look like. And I'm just captivated by the goodness of God and who he is. And he transforms me. He changes us. Repentance, it's an inner change of mind resulting in an outward turning back or turning around to face and to move in a completely new direction. Today, is your life facing the light of the Father's face in pursuit of Him? Or are you chasing after the shadows of destruction that will ultimately lead to death? That's where we're at with that. I need to read that one more time or you heard me. It's a a strong statement. Are we pursuing the face of God or are we chasing those things of the past that will lead to death? It's never too late to change the course of your life by stopping, changing your mind, changing your direction, facing the opposite way, turning your back to the shadows and facing towards the light. This is what true repentance really looks like. It'll radically change the rest of your life. share a quick illustration with you guys before we end. This is, a, this is an, a, an analogy that uh, Charles Spurgeon used. I can't take credit for this. It's too good. So it says, imagine there was a five-star meal from the best chef in the world on one side of the room and a pig trough filled with pig slop on the other side. If you released a pig into the room, He would go to the pig trough every single time. Why? Because he's a pig, and that is what pigs do. So now if the pig was supernaturally transformed into a human being, he would not want to eat from the pig trough anymore. There would be a change. There would be something that changed. He he becomes human now. So he can't stomach the look or the smell of the pig food without gagging. You guys just think of the worst thing you ate that you just cannot stomach. You're like right on the... That's what, that's what it's, that's, that's the, the word it's using. And so he'd go to the five-star meal, right? Why? Because he's a human now. He's not a pig anymore. So now if you've truly been converted and you're heading for heaven, then this, ana- uh, this analogy has just described your conversion, right? We used to chase the pig slop. Man, now we're going after the, the, the five-course meal. So God supernaturally changed your will and desires from a sin-loving to a righteous and a righteous-hating pig to a sin-hating and righteous-loving human. So when a Christian sins, because this still happens, right? You know, so every, every, every once in a while, the Christian may forget 
that he's no longer a pig. And he'll go and he'll eat from that pig trough. But as soon as he does, what happens? He wants to vomit. And if he sees anyone that sees him eating from that pig trough, he's ashamed. And why is he ashamed? Because he's not a pig anymore. And humans do not eat from pig troughs. Let's take it a little bit further. The so-called carnal Christians. So if someone claims that they're a Christian, but yet they, they don't have much of an appetite for righteousness, they would rather openly walk in sin. They don't really care about the five-star meal, but would rather eat from the pig trough, then it's obvious they're probably still a pig. As the evidence is showing, their will and desires have not been changed by God. They are unregenerated and unconverted. Remember what Jesus said about, about the good and bad trees in Matthew 7. Good trees will bear good fruit. Bad trees will bear bad fruit. Don't pretend you're a Christian when your life is marked by rebellion to God's will. Or if your life is marked by rebellion of God's will, don't pretend to be a Christian. We see this all the time. So to the legalist, go ahead and encourage one another in the Lord. So it's common today for Christians who, who love to be obedient to the, to the word of God to be accused of legalism. Legalism is a term that is often used the same as homophobe or racist. It's, it's a, it's a, the motive is generally to slur someone, uh, to slur someone and so no one will listen to their reasoning. They just kind of to discredit them. But, this, but what's really happening here is that the Christian being accused wants to do God's will. He wants to eat from the five-star meal because he's not trying to keep the rules. But because it's so much better, he realizes it's so much better. He's not a pig anymore, and so he doesn't want to eat from the pig trough. However, his accuser can't understand why anyone would want to eat from that delicious meal all of the time and not from the pig trough. Why? Because the accuser is still a pig. So we've got to understand, there's a transformation that happens to where we are never like we are. We remember, you know, the pig trough days. We were all there. And we say, man, this is so much better. You guys stand up with me this morning. We have to realize that repentance is a, is a big deal. It's the key that unlocks everything else in the history, really, of your Christian walk. You can't get to heaven without it. Make this statement one more time. So it's never to, too late to change your life by stopping. So right now, man, if you're like, man, I don't know, stop for a moment. Let's evaluate. Let's changing our mind, changing your direction, possibly facing the opposite way this morning, turning your back on the shadows and facing the light. This is what true repentance from dead works really looks like. And this morning, if you say, no, man, I, I didn't experience nothing like that. I just said I, said I was sorry. I didn't realize why things didn't change in my life. I didn't realize why there wasn't this conviction to just chase after the things of God. I was still torn by the things of the flesh and these sinful habits in my life. Well, maybe it's because we never truly repented and turned the other way and choose to, 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 to take up our cross, to crucify our lives, to leave the dead man in the grave and walk with Christ. 
Maybe we've just never made that commitment. If I can have prayer teams this morning to come forward. So, man, I know that as I dug into scripture, that, man, it just really opened my eyes to the depths of repentance. And, man, it challenged me. I said, God, you know, those areas where I just really haven't truly said, God, I changed my mind completely. I want to so run away from that because I didn't see it, God, like you saw it. I didn't see how it broke your heart. I didn't see how it pierced your hands, God. As, we, as each, each one of those sins just kind of came out as a drop of blood from that crown on his head. I didn't realize the importance of it. And I know with all of my heart, I said, God, help me never to just minimize sin. And just say, ah, the grace is sufficient. Man, but to get it, kick it, get it as far away from me as I can and go the other way. So this morning, if you say, man, you know, ah, first and foremost, no, I never repented like that. I just thought it was apologizing to God and he would be cool and we'd be cool and I'd go to heaven. There's, there's more to it than that. If you haven't had a change of mind this morning, I want you to have a chance to do that. I'm not saying that your heart, that you, your faith hasn't been there, but we got to make sure we have true repentance because it's really going to water down what true Christianity is intended to look like to where we fully repent from things. So if you've never done that, if today you just, if, there, if there's something in your life that you're saying, man, I just can't lick this, Noe. This is an area in my life that I'm having issues with and I cannot remove it that today that you would see it for what it is, that the eyes, of your stand, the eyes of your understanding would be opened and enlightened and that you would see it for what it is and you say, hey man, I don't want to have nothing to do with that. I didn't realize it was that ugly. And that God would give you the grace to turn from that and walk the other way. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.